Now the football is over, can we please have our pubs back? When Balzac was a schoolboy, did they nickname him Balzac? So this is what about 20% of the correspondence you've sent us in the last week sounds like. Tut, 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 Ollie man. What an idiot you are for falling for the notion of rainbow parties, an obvious fiction of sexual deviant parties. Well, I, I did have some scepticism about the fact that they may have happened at all. I was surprised to read that they did. But where did you read that? On the Obvious Lies page uh, I of fibbers.com. that my research technique is watertight... I'll give you a little glimpse, listeners, under the magician's cloth here. Us writer broadcasters use a little resource called google.com. Just keep that to yourselves, because soon everyone will start using it. I trusted you. When you presented this to me as fact and poo-pooed my doubts, I thought, this must be a real thing that happens, despite all one's instincts that it doesn't. To be fair to me, though, Helen, I think, as I established last week, the idea of any kind of party as a teenager that involved any sort of contact with the opposite sex at all uh, felt like uh, something of an exotic fantasy. Let alone a party that involved so many blowjobs you were keeping a kind of penile tithe. (laughs) Here's a question from Chris from Cardiff in Australia who says, I've been cast as a recurring character in my university's law review in the second act of the show. I get shot twice by the police. Only lawyers could turn that situation into light-hearted sketch comedy. Naturally, I have to collapse dramatically onto the floor. I just got back from rehearsals and not surprisingly, it really hurts to collapse onto a hard wooden floor multiple times. No, really. How many lawyers does it take to work that one out? Sue them. Sue them all. (laughs) Ollie, answer me this. Is there a good way to reduce the discomfort of collapsing dramatically to the floor? The review isn't until August, so we have a bit of time to prepare. Yeah, of course there is. I've Actors don't just loads. fall straight down, do they? No, I've done this loads in plays. You go limp from each of your joints in turn. So knees first, yeah. then hips, then your upper body. And that means that your, your fall is a lot slower. So you just essentially crumple to the ground rather than doing a massive fall. The thing is, when someone dies in a play, it's just instinct, isn't it, for the audience's part, that you're going to be looking at their tummy to see if it's still going up and down. When you know it is, because yeah. they're acting. Yeah. You know it is. And yet I always find myself looking, oh, they're not acting properly because I can see they're still alive. They're breathing. Yeah. <laughs> they should be going into a meditative state whereby their, their breathing slows, their heartbeat slows. Yeah, whereas there really is no stage effect you can do to combat that. Here's a question from Sam, who says, the other day, my girlfriend said she'd seen a child with an ice cream cone instead of a flake stuck in the top. It had an ice lolly stuck tip down in the ice cream. Obviously, at the time, I dismissed this as a flight of fancy. However, I too have since witnessed this remarkable scene and was intrigued. So, Ollie, answer me this. Is this a common trend amongst the youth of today, or is this a weird Yorkshire thing? We live in Sheffield. Well, I'm locating this phenomenon to Letchworth in 1991, so it's very much not localised. Maybe, like the parrots from south-east London, it has slowly been creeping northwards. Or maybe it is this same ice cream man who has now gone north as well. <laughs> I don't like the idea of ice lolly combined with the kind of shaving cream ice cream. They're for different things, aren't they? I don't want both those tastes at the same time. That's like having milk and orange juice. Yeah, but what you've got to think of it as is a three-course meal. You use the lolly as the uh, sort of palate cleanser, the aperitif. Uh-huh. Then the ice cream itself, the creamy bit of the ice cream, obviously that's the main meal, and then the cone is pudding. So you've got the worst thing for pudding. That's rubbish. Yeah, the least no pudding one, no one likes the cone. If you could replace the cone with a, a funnel of human skin, I'd rather eat that. Oh. But it has to come in something, doesn't it? I bet you've tried doing that. You've been peeling your heels off just to make this. <laughs> Here's a ridiculous thing. Mm. Ice cream vans at equestrian centres. I've been to see my girlfriend riding a horse numerous times. With that? Because, guess what? If you bring a loud vehicle to an equestrian centre and they go, <laughs> da, 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 oh, the point. horses don't like it very much. Oh, maybe the horses are lactose intolerant. 
Hi, Helen and Ollie. It's Lucy from Brighton. So I'm lying down in my room on a bed made of cushions. And the reason I'm doing this is that my ex-boyfriend who broke up with me and completely broke my heart texted me yesterday to ask whether he could disassemble my bed and reassemble it in a conference centre for an art installation and I let him. So Helen and Ollie, answer me this. What the hell am I doing? Well, I, I think the answer to that is pretty much contained in the question. What you're doing is you're still obsessed with this boy and you're doing anything he asks you because you're still kind of in love with him and now you're regretting it because you're depressed because you split up. And, well, also you're regretting it because you realise that this is a really stupid, unreasonable demand, but your poor heart has made uh, your brain weak and you didn't have the resistance to refuse this cad anything that he wanted. Well, it sounds kind of boho and cool, doesn't it? Hey, can I take your bed apart because I'm going to put it in an art exhibition? Who does he think he is? Tracy Emin? If it's part of an exhibition <laughs> called Bed Belonging to Massive Bitch, then you've definitely yeah. made a mistake. But also, do you think she's thinking, he wants my bed, that must mean he still likes me. On a subliminal level? Yeah. No, I it's just think contact, she's... contact, isn't it? It's I, having yeah. some contact with this guy. I don't think after a breakup you should even lend somebody a CD that you hope to get back let alone something as large and useful as a bed. But how arty is this anyway if it's in a conference centre? Usually corporate art isn't the highly conceptual type that might demand a bed. Mm. Well, if it is bought for a lot of money, then do you want your bed back? Or are you happy for him to buy you another one? Well, her bed might have increased dramatically in value depending on this That's artist. True. That's true. You've got to think about that, Lucy. What if, what if it goes away and this bed is now worth half a million pounds? Yeah. Tracy Emin's bed would have been worth uh, unbelievable amounts more than she bought the constituent parts for. Then is it still the artwork anymore if it goes back home and it's not in the gallery and it's not laid out in a particular way? Surely the work was when you saw it in that particular context. No, no, because then it's in a private collection. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Like on Tracy Emin's bed, yeah. like the used Johnny's, yeah. Out of context, yes. That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think you'd even be able to eBay use Johnny as featured in Tracy Emin's work for more than about a fiver. But as part of the work, it can be worth a million pounds. Yeah, but that's what makes it art, doesn't it? Ugh. It's the thought that combines the bed and the used Johnny's. You know, I like to think I'm a man of the modern world, Helen. I like You're to think not, I'm open. Though. You're a man of the, like, I don't know, late 70s, early 80s? Well, 1870s. I just, uh, for me, art, when you just recontextualise something, doesn't count. It's just mm. not good enough. It's, I'm, I'm not one of these people who says, oh, it has to be a painting. It doesn't have to be a painting. But when you go to... We, Je, Helen and I, we went to the Jeremy Deller exhibition at the Hayward Gallery. Oh. One of the things that he'd done was take an Arabic woman and put her in a room. And she was next to a blown-up car. And that was the installation. It was like a car from Fallujah or something, and it was supposed to really make you think it's actually just a person sitting on a sofa. What about recontextualising half a shark? Yeah, or oil. Do you remember when they filled... Was it the Saatchi Gallery with a big pool of oil? To make you think about oil. Mm. If all you're doing is saying, look, here's a thing that looks ordinary, but by putting it in this different room, I've really made you think of it. Mm. Well, you you kind of have, but you could have just taken a photo of it and it would have done the same thing. Yeah, it it annoys me too. And generally, I do prefer art where some kind of uh, aesthetic skill has gone into it. But in defence of the kind of retrieved objects type art, Mm. if someone says it's art then it's art because you're thinking about the thought that uh, went behind it mm. to, to present it to you in its context. I don't really believe in this defence, but that is the defence that could be made and it's what happens when my dad and my brother get into an argument about what is art over Christmas dinner. Well, actually, the really weird thing about this Jeremy Deller exhibition in particular was it completely ate itself because at the end <laughs> there was a, a reconstruction of his teenage bedroom. Right. And what he'd done as a teenager was um, take over the house where his parents were away for a weekend and invite a load of people round to a happening where he turned everything into art. 
and they'd recreated oh, no. that. Worst kids party ever. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sit on the sofa with your cider because that is one of the exhibits. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> they'd recreated his teenage bedroom in the gallery so that you could experience what it was like to be there. And then are you supposed to be judging the art as it was then or is the art the recreation of the bedroom? The latter, because... The art as it was then would not have had a load of middle-aged people like us looking respectfully in the cupboards. Yeah. Do you think artists generally are any good at assembling furniture? (laughs) (laughs) My dad is an artist and he's very handy at furniture, cutting down trees, Mm. rehanging a fridge door so that opens on the left rather than the right. That's a good skill. Yeah. I've always thought the first episode of every reality show should be that they get into the Big Brother house, e.g., and they've just got loads of flat packs. Or... Because the tension in having to put flat packs together is so great that you've got built-in drama and argument... And I said that to a reality TV producer that I met. And they said, oh, yeah, it's always suggested. Someone always says that. Yeah, right. Never work. Never work because it's boring TV. I was like, it's boring when they just sit around and drink bloody orange champagne for the night. It wouldn't be boring once they came to blows, which would happen within about five minutes. You wouldn't even have to edit it down. And then they'd have to sleep on a really uncomfortable bed for ten weeks that they're in the show. Why is it listing on two axes? Oh, God, when they shagged it, it (laughs) collapsed. Producers of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, on the first day, get them to dig the latrine. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that would be good as well. Bloody dare you. <laughs> if you've got a question, email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. 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 Are you sitting comfortably, children, for it is story time? Yay! Uh, we story, have... story. <laughs> there was a young man called Dean. Whose knickers were never very clean. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he says, uh, my teenage daughter... I'm now thinking of a man with unclean knickers the whole way through this. There, there was a young man called Dean whose hygiene was always pristine. But, right, thank you. That's, that's much more helpful. Uh, anyway, yes, Dean from Glasgow says, my teenage daughter came home from school to announce that the children's nursery rhyme The Owl and the Pussycat was actually a story of how the author had an affair and ran away with his lover. What? Mm, Yeah, right. Uh, So, Helen, answer me this. Is this based on anything factual? Uh, It's a nonsense poem. I haven't really found any evidence that it means anything. Edward Lear wrote it for a three-year-old daughter of a friend of his. Yeah, but Lewis Carroll wrote Alice in Wonderland for a young lady daughter of a friend, and that's got all sorts of notions. Edward Lear, though, there doesn't seem to be any insinuation that he had the hots for this three-year-old. Apparently his sexuality was uh, hard to call but he never married and people think actually he didn't have much of a sexuality at all. So because he never married, how is he supposed to have an affair and run away with somebody? Mm. Huh? Huh? Answer me that. That's not to say that there's not some sort of sexual double meaning in this kind of poetry for kids, though. This is a poem that does three times have the line, what a beautiful pussy you are. Surely that's partly there, because it's quite funny for adults reading it out to kids to say that repeatedly. On the other hand, though, it did mean cat. <laughs> it's like when he wrote The Pobble Who Has No Toes, it wasn't a metaphor for the guy who had no penis. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of, obviously, stuff about nonsense poetry that doesn't make sense, hence nonsense poetry. It rhymes. That's all the sense it makes. Although, yeah, but some of the things that are in there that aren't even there to rhyme don't... Like, why would you wrap up all that money in a £5 note? If, if you're trying it to secrete some... money about your person, you'd wrap it up in a lettuce leaf, wouldn't well, you? Putting a £5 note on is revealing the fact that it's money. Why would you wrap honey in that note as well that's going to make all the money sticky the Mm. thing is they're not thinking practically because they're swept away by the romance (laughs) actually why would an owl and the pussycat get it on if anything the cat would claw him to death or the owl could crush the cat with its talons why do I sense that Martin's going to come in with an owl fact yeah the owl would fuck it up and also why they're getting married by a pig 
I don't think any of those animals really why, hang out. Why are they on a boat? Because cats are frightened of water generally. But the fact is, it's a story. It's a bit of a silly story with lots of silly elements. It's dead stream of consciousness. Yeah. It's free association. Some of it you could do, though, couldn't you? You could get a boat in that colour if you wanted to. Yeah. I mean, you'd probably cost a bit more than an average coloured boat. You, you could travel away for a year and a day, but you might get abducted by Somali pirates. And also, you're going to have an issue there with your round-the-world traveller ticket, aren't you? If you go for mm. a day over the year, it'd be so much cheaper just to go for a year. Well, also, you have to travel uh, in one direction only, don't you with a lot of those tickets you can dance under the light of the moon as well of course that's the only part of this that rings true <laughs> <laughs> that bit has real resonance for me this is john from loughborough so helen and ollie answer me this what pain is it that men find uh porn the the climax to porn where the guy finishes in the girl's face as erotic i mean so many porn films end with this but yet what, what, for what possible reason would we as human beings find this erotic? Evolutionary, evolutionary speaking, we should be expecting that the proper sex act to be the most erotic. So answer me this, Helen I don't even watch porn, unlike I'd imagine the two of you, and this seems like a perfectly obvious thing to me that people would want to watch because they want to know that a real orgasm has occurred rather than it being all faked. Yeah, so it's sort of the proof. Proof of the salty pudding. Uh, <laughs> and I suppose um, for a lot of men it's like the, the conquering of the flesh... And also for a lot of years, uh, people were relying on the pull-out method for contraception. Yeah, well, actually, but that's, you know, that, that's a point in pornography as well, of course, really? is that you've often... You depict. Do, do they have these little conversations? Now? I don't want to get pregnant, though. <laughs> and, the, and the other one says, well, we can't use condoms because aesthetically it's frowned upon in porn. <laughs> yeah. Have you got a tissue? No, I haven't. I'll just use my face. No, I've never <laughs> seen that particular dialogue happen, Helen. Um, but implicitly, obviously, you're, you're often dealing with a depiction of unprotected sex. Mm. Of course, there's still a danger of STDs being transmitted uh, in the pre-ejaculate but uh, you know you're clearly most at risk aren't you at the point of ejaculation so mm. I guess you are minimising the risk by pulling out at that point um, of pregnancy as well as of STD so I, I do think that's part of it actually I'd imagine a lot of our listeners are the products of the failure of the pull out method <laughs> of contraception <laughs> exactly. also when um, John says there that there's no evolutionary reason why men would be interested in seeing other men ejaculate well there's no evolutionary reason why men would want to see another man dressing as a plumber and going to service a woman's boiler. Now, I did once read a really interesting study about how the fact that there is actually evidence that men ejaculate more when they see other men ejaculate. Really? And it comes down to a, a primeval thing, which is to do with wanting to have the strongest ejaculate, yeah. wanting to have the strongest shot. Yeah. Uh, and therefore you are more likely to have a more explosive uh, ejaculation if you have witnessed someone else. Wow. Because you want your sperm to conquer the egg. So stop watching all of that girl-on-girl porn, men, <laughs> if you want to have super sperm. Well, you know, it's in all kinds of porn straight gay bisexual everything that you see the cum shot so it's not you know it's not limited to people that find looking at men yeah. erotic it gets gross once there's too much of it i saw that annabelle chong film and it was depressing at the end yeah i did I di there's a niche of pornography that even i didn't know about that i found out about today when um lots of people come into like a jug and then they pour it over their face did that not happen at your boarding school? <laughs> it's called like gukong or something. Whose face do they pour it on? The lady or all of the participants in the act? The lady, yeah. yeah. But in one, but the thing is, it's a bit premeditated, though, isn't it? If there's exactly. a jug and then there's if the ejaculations the have end. already happened, then in the moment of shame, someone says, "I know, let's pour this vase over the lady's head." I just find that really weird. Um, and also, there was uh, some examples apparently of um, uh, men ejaculating numerous times into a, into a jug mm. and then freezing it. 
because obviously you know you, you can't store up a lot in one session so over a course of a couple of weeks would that not well, affect cheating. the texture of the sperm like often when you refreeze molten ice cream it, it is, comes out weird <laughs> it is baffling but the point is this is something that's been around since time immemorial or at least uh, since 1785 really uh, what the pearl necklace etc yeah the marquis de sade uh writes about it in his book the 120 days of sodom uh i show them my prick then what do you suppose i do I squirt the fuck in their face. Ooh. That's my passion, my child. I have no other. And you're about to behold it. So yes. I suppose that is part of it, isn't it? It's the evidence. Like you were saying, it's the proof. Doesn't seem to leave that much room for interpretation, that. No, it doesn't. It's very direct. <laughs> yeah. What I find interesting is the fact that the, um, the shot is called the money shot. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, so the money shot was terminology that existed from old Hollywood. And it existed simply because that was the shot of the film that cost the most money. So, you know, that was the car crash or the cowboy flying through the air. Okay, or it the wasn't waterfall. that old Hollywood making silent films with... <laughs> Massive gunshot drowned Charlie <laughs> Chaplin. No. <laughs> that would be a good bit of Keaton-style clowning. Um, no, it wasn't. It was the shot that cost the most money. That's where it came from. And then when they started making porn, they borrowed the terminology because, apparently, actors got paid more to ejaculate on screen. So, the hence, money shot. Hmm. But everyone knows, I mean, even people that have no interest in pornography know that women earn more in porn, in straight porn, than men do. So I still don't understand why that would be the money shot. Maybe the implication is that's what people watch for, in the same way that when you watch, I don't know, Prometheus, you're watching for the space zombie being set fire to or the big, and the big explosions. Mm. I wasn't. I was watching in the hope that there was a plot and a decent script. I was wrong. <laughs> I dreamed of a shining yellow book that was touched by Midas himself. Well, you are warmly invited to this question about weddings from Claire from Bristol. Thanks. Um, <laughs> that's not a very polite way to reply to an invitation, Ellen. Well, you've invited me at such late notice, I can't help but think that I'm not even on the B list of guests, I'm on the C list. You're right, you saw right through me. I've only been invited to the evening bit of this question. <laughs> <laughs> she says, uh, My friend is getting married in August... And I am one of five bridesmaids. Well, as I've said to bridesmaids that have written into this podcast before, sorry and good luck, and you don't (laughs) have to talk to her after the wedding. Just write this one off. I thought that bridesmaids were just meant to look after the bride and keep her sane. Too late for that. You're meant to do things like helping her go to the toilet because her dress is too cumbersome. Apparently that is a very common bridesmaid chore. I mean, who wants to have the the worry that they can't urinate on their own on days that was meant to be very romantic and seemly? However, someone once told me that traditionally bridesmaids were meant to step in and marry the groom if the bride changed her mind. Bullshit! So, Helen, answer me this. What is the point of bridesmaids? Well, slaves. Is what I've been told true? Will one of us have to marry the groom should my friend change her mind? The only source that I have found of this being the case is a quote from Blackadder 2. <laughs> also, legally, it would be difficult because you two would have to be licensed to marry at least 21 days before the ceremony. And I think if he'd already got a license or bans posted with this other woman, the actual bride... Oh, you have to ruin all these wedding questions with your chat of licenses, Helen. Therefore, I don't think it was custom. I have read some interesting things, though, that apparently uh, bridesmaids became fairly normal in, in ancient times in many different cultures. But in Rome, it was particularly curious because you had to have 10 witnesses 
at the wedding who are identically dressed to the bride and the groom because uh, evil spirits attended weddings and they would try and confer trouble and strife upon the couple and therefore to trick the evil spirits you had to have these people identically dressed as you which I think Ooh, is one wow. of the reasons for veils as well so that the spirits couldn't tell which one was the bride another reason for bridesmaids uh, was that uh, they would help the brides travel to her husband's village and uh, they would guard her from uh, the threats of the road because traveling used to be very dangerous you could be attacked by bandits or kidnapped by rival men uh, so they were like a security detail have you ever been a bridesmaid no would no, you like to no because i hate organizing stuff and i don't want to hate any of my friends but i definitely would afterwards so you're actually saying now for the record any of your friends getting married you don't want to be invited to be the bridesmaid i can't imagine i'll be top tier for any of them how many friendships get ended that way i mean i'm sure I think a lot yeah do you think people just never speak again after the wedding yep Commonly. That's a shame, isn't it? Well, here's another question of marriage from Chris from Manchester, who says, My best friend, who is 25, uh, is with a girl who is 32. This girl is a really unpleasant person. Very pushy, very rude, etc, etc. It's not just me that hates this girl. It's everybody that she knows, even her family. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, that's really sad. Anyway, says Chris, she's pushing him to get married and propose, etc., I think this would be a really bad idea and I may be asked to be best man at a wedding I don't approve of. So answer me this. Yes, it's very presumptuous. You can't actually. assume you're going to be asked to be best man. Answer me this, Ollie. Am I allowed to tell him I think he would be making a mistake? No. If so, how? We've covered this before. Don't do it. Don't tell your colleagues their hygiene is bad. Don't, don't tell your wife she's fat. Don't tell your friends their choice of spouse is wrong. It's when, only going to get back at you. When your friend breaks up with somebody, don't go, oh, I'm so glad because they were awful and really, <laughs> really no good for you. And uh, then they get back together a few weeks later. It's just not worth it. It's like we haven't been here for the last five years, Helen. Has the world not learned? <laughs> They're not listening, Ollie. It's not worth it, is it? It's not worth it. Your friend loves this woman for better or worse, probably worse. And the best you can do is be supportive in that. He doesn't have to marry her, even if she's pushing him to propose. He's still got free will of a sort. And he's an adult. You can't force him to make the decisions that you think are right for him. He is, he is sentient. He is legally in control of his affairs. Mm. You have to let him make his own mistakes. And even if they did get engaged, the pressures of organising a wedding is enough to split a lot of people up. So, yeah, so fingers, fingers crossed. crossed. <laughs> <laughs> if your friend hasn't noticed that she's rude, maybe she's not rude to him. Yeah. And, and, and although you might say, well, in the future, maybe she will be rude to him and it will end their relationship. You don't know that. It might be that she's only secure when she's with him and she's got all kinds of problems you don't even know about. And yeah. frankly, it's about their relationship, not her relationship with everyone else. It's really hard to know what people's relationships are like behind closed doors. Exactly. Mm. Uh, Chris uh, continues, What would I do if I were asked to be best man? Surely me being best man would essentially be me saying I agreed with his horrible decision. Again, no, it's saying that I am the best friend of this man. And, and they want him to be happy. And I'm accepting this honorific position, despite my misgivings. You're saying yes to the friend. Yes, exactly. You're not saying yes to the, yes, I approve of everything you do. The problem is, if you're the one to tell somebody that they shouldn't love the person that they love, it's you who's going to get shat on. It's yeah. not, they're not going to think, oh, well, maybe I'm going off her. If anything, uh, it's quite nice if the marriage fails that you were there throughout the process. You were there, right? You were there on the special day. You may, you know, you can be there and be supportive when the divorce is coming through as well. It's lovely to see a sad story from beginning to end, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, yeah. You get all three acts. If you've been affected by any of the issues in today's programme, you can call 0208 123 5877. Or you can net up... Oh, shut up! Are you a man or a minx? Here's a question from Eleanor in Norwich, who says, Helen, answer me this. Why can't people give pole dancing a chance and not instantly assume that anyone who does it is a slut? 
Um, well, I think a lot of people do use it now as exercise because those classes seem to be quite popular amongst certain gyms and not in a very slutty way because they involve tracksuits, which is not very slutty clothing. But the fact is it did originate yes. in sexually stimulating clubs and that is why it's still associated with sex. Yeah, and to be honest, that's part of the frisson why people get into it, isn't it? Even if they're not interested in getting any kind of sexual arousal or causing any, it has a sexy allure to it more than gymnastics for that reason. It is quite sexy and uh, apparently very, very um, effective in building muscle because it looks really, really hard. Well, yes, she continues. Having been part of the UEA's pole dancing club for two years... I didn't realise that the University of East Anglia was big into pole dancing. I thought creative writing was uh, its uh, main thrust. No, no. Motion's a great pole dancing. Um, she's been on the committee oh. uh, and I've competed in an inter-university competition I love the idea of a pole dancing committee by the way I bet you bloody do <laughs> This this week, the committee will vote as to whether this stick can be counted a pole. Does Morris dancing count as pole dancing if you've got the slappy sticks? <laughs> All those in favour say aye. Um, uh, she says, I still get dirty looks when I say that I pole dance. But hey... Times are hard at the moment, and it's good to get something vocational out of your degree. That's right, yeah. Uh, it's not about taking my clothes off to satisfy men. It is about grace and strength, and is a lot harder than it looks. Okay, well, it looks hard, so it, it does must look be really, hard. really hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think you're tricky. wrong on that. I think everyone thinks it's hard, Eleanor. Yeah, um, apart from the people that just sort of... Like Kate Moss in that White Stripes video, where she's just rubbing her back against the pole and half-arsedly twisting around it, but she's not actually doing those things where she hangs upside down and climbs up it as if she has no sense of gravity. Yeah, but I think it's like with a rubbish circus performer of any kind, isn't it? When you see a bad one, you realise how difficult it is to do it well. Eleanor has a supplementary question. How can I change people's attitude towards pole dancing? By uh, doing it wearing a full set of tweed garments. They're not sexy. I mean, even if it gets taken seriously as a sport, like beach volleyball is. Mm. You know, well, semi-seriously. Yeah, but no, well, Jiggly. exactly. Exactly. If there's any kind of arousing element to it, then it's never going to be taken entirely seriously. And if you want to get into it for your own fitness, what's the problem? Yeah. I mean, you know that when you get involved. It's not like it's a surprise that they're that it may be considered in this light because, as Helen pointed out, that's how it originated. Yeah, if you're not doing it in a sparkly thong but you're doing it in sports clothes, that automatically makes it seem more athletic. And if you're not kind of sexually rubbing your tits on the pole yeah. but doing feats of muscular control and agility, then that's that's less sexy. Just, I'm sure as time goes on and pole dancing arrives in every primary school in the country <laughs> it will be considered a wholesome activity yeah um it used to be a feature of um country fairs uh in things like thomas hardy novels where people would climb to the top of a greased pole to retrieve the prize of a ham but maybe if you put a ham on the top of the pole people will realize that it's a competitive sport and not a sexy sport well, i'm not sure i think that would make it substantially more arousing for me but I, I think you just have to accept that at a certain level if you're doing this sport that originates from erotic dancing it would be like if i said helen i found this great way to keep fit it's called butt plugging <laughs> what i do is i repeatedly put this butt plug in and out my ass and it's it's really good for me actually because it's stretching my legs it's working on my technique and versatility you squat the, down over it at the you? end of the day if it started as a sex device or it started as an erotic display that is how it will be seen i'm afraid i don't have as much sympathy for you eleanor in norwich as i do for the nurses that we were talking about a few episodes ago as uh, yeah, porn exactly. fantasies or firemen everyone's latching over firemen but the job they do is extremely hazardous yes physically presumably mentally as well but listeners if you want to solve eleanor's problem that to us doesn't need to be solved then by all means get in touch or just send us a question of your own uh, all of our contact details are listed on our website answer me this podcast.com where this week you can also see a video that Eleanor has sent us 
of her and her UEA cohorts doing pole dancing in a not at all, not even faintly, not even remotely erotic way. Totally safe for work, though. Yeah, yeah, it is actually. Although, yeah, yeah. So, some of them look very nice. I'm sorry, is that wrong to point that out? Well, they're in good shape because they pole are. dancing is such excellent exercise. It keeps them very lithe and shapely. And- Judge for yourself on our website. We'll be getting some more Google hits because we'll be using the word uh, pole dancing on our website. Fingers crossed. Hey, there aren't any men in her pole dancing video. True. Maybe if it really wasn't a sexy sport for the titillation of men, there should be men doing it. <laughs> Do that, Eleanor. That's true. Mm. Nice. Bye! Bye.